1: Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road,
2: and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison of the grave. This time, inside of two hours, a lavish mansion seethed with suspicion, a sealed cabin filled with gas in an artist's retreat, had a corpse on the floor. All because one man was too good-looking to be true to anyone. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding
3: author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy, as we present The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story The Lady Killer.
2: The longer I sat in my office with my feet up on the desk and thought about it, the more convinced I became. Paul Niles was unquestionably the handsomest man I'd ever seen. He had a face that belonged than a Greek god. Only his features were better and more finely chiseled. They looked as though they'd been molded out of alabaster from a blueprint by some inspired genius. And the classic side view he presented made the great profile show up like a bowl full of shredded wheat. In fact, the guy was much too good to be true in more ways than one. Which had been my original impression of Niles when I'd first met him. Just two hours ago at the corner of Sunset and Coenga and at his insistence had driven him around the quieter streets of Hollywood in my car while he tried to hire me. He was scared stiff. That was all he would admit to, and as he talked, I wondered what it would be like to have a face like that. It must become quite a problem. Women cluttering up your life. Marlowe, you're not listening to me. Unless you help me, I, I'm going to be killed soon, tomorrow, tonight, maybe in the next ten minutes. I, I must have protection. From what? Who's after you? A girl.
3: Her name is Nora Kirby. She's threatened my life, and now she's here in town. She actually
2: intends to go through with it. I found out where she's staying. I went there to talk to her, but she was out. Why is killing you so important to her? Well, I... I don't even know for sure. It's... it's something ridiculous. Hmm. Nora Kirby obviously doesn't think so. Let's have it, Niles. Why? I, I... I can't tell you that. I see. Also, I suppose you don't want to take this to the police where it belongs, and you can't give me the reason for that, either. Yes, I came to you because I need private help, and I'm willing to pay well for it. Now, you don't have to concern yourself with the reasons. Simply see that Nora doesn't get to me. Now, here, as a starter, here's $200 for just that. Keep it. I only accept money from the people I work for. You mean you won't help me? I just want to know where I'm going before I start. Now, wait. You, don't can you get un- off here. Don't you understand? My, my, my life's in danger. I'm scared. Not enough to loosen your tongue, any. Here, this is as far as I go. But tell me one thing first, just for laughs. What business are you in? Why, I'm a composer. I write music. Mm-hmm. The way you said it, it's either a front or a hobby. How do you get your dough? I have friends, wealthy ones who have faith in me. And that's more than I can say for Marlowe. So long, Mr. Niles. Go on. Out. Well, all right. But here, at least take my card, and please call if you change your mind. I- I'm desperate, Marlowe. I'll pay you even more if you'll only... Goodbye, Mr. Niles. <laughs> the way I'd left it two hours ago at eight. And I'd spent the time in between trying to referee a tug-of-war in progress with the feeling I had that I'd been stuffy on one end and my undernourished bank account on the other, and was slowly but surely getting no place. So when the break came, I grabbed at it. Hello, Marlowe speaking. Marlowe, this is Paul Niles again. Oh? I've uh, thought it over. I'll tell you everything if that's the only way because I've got to have help before it's too late. That's better. Where are you? In my
3: studio, 3893 Avenida del Sol. 3893.
2: That's off Coldwater Canyon, isn't it? Yes. Now get over here right away, will you? Wait a minute, Marlowe. There's someone here. Somebody just came in now. What? Niles? Who's there? Who is it? Nora, is that you?
4: Niles! Niles! Niles!
2: Niles' phone went dead I hung up, ran to my car and was headed for Coldwater Canyon before I stopped to think of what I'd heard on the telephone it could very easily have been bait for a patsy routine because I had nothing more to go on now than before except Niles promise to tell all that I'd got no further than gunshots but I was already well on one easy way to find out so I corkscrewed my way over the mountains to Avenida del Sol and followed it to number 3893 which was a straight up driveway etched narrowly into the hill face that ended on a gravel shelf just big enough for the redwood and glass studio the generous helping of imported jungle for landscaping in a circular parking space. As my headlights slashed across the tangle of overhanging trees in the center, they trapped the figure of a woman running. She stopped, crouched, and looked back into the glare like a cat does, then darted to the darkness again. But I caught her at the corner of the house. Just a oh, minute, no. baby, not so fast on the curb. Oh, let me
5: go. Let me go. Not until
2: we've been properly introduced and had a chance to talk a lot of things over, Nora. Yeah, Nora Kirby, girl with murder on her mind. Oh,
5: no, no, you got the wrong person. My name's not Nora, it's Lynn. I don't know anyone like that. Lynn what? Lynn Horton. Lynn Horton.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, Lynn Horton, what's inside the got you so panicky you can hardly stand up? Is it Paul Niles? Oh,
5: yes. I've got I to get away from you here.
2: And it actually happened, huh? He was shot. Is he I, dead?
5: I don't know, I think so. How did you know about it? Who are
2: you? Name's Marlowe. Come on, Lynn Horton. Let's take another look.
5: No. No, I, I, I couldn't bear it. Mm.
2: Can't see him through the window. It means you must have been inside.
5: Inside? No. No, I wasn't.
2: Now look, baby, you're too jittery to try to lie. Let's have the key. Come on, give. Oh. That's better. Right. After you. Go on, inside. Now, where is it?
5: Yeah. Oh, Paul.
2: Come on, Lynn. Come over here away from me. I
5: I can't believe it.
2: I can't. What's your connection with him?
5: I I was just a friend. I tried to help him with his music.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. The price on the merchandise you're wearing, you must be one of those mentioned. What do you mean? You got dough and it shows. We'll skip that. Assuming you didn't kill him, you must have had some reason for showing up here tonight. What was it?
5: Well, I only wanted to... Did you hear that? Someone's outside.
2: Yeah, get the light. Yeah.
5: There, on the terrace, something moved down there. I'm
2: going out to see who it is, and listen, there's no such thing as welcome visitor just now, baby, so you stay here, understand, and don't budge. I felt my way out the door, down the stone steps toward where we'd seen the movement, and along the wall of the far end of the terrace. But there was no sound, nothing moved. Whoever had made the noise had gotten away clean, so I headed back for the house, and that's when I heard it. I started after it, with my shin against the first rock garden stopped me cold. Ooh. Instead, I, I listened to her drive away called myself a few unpleasant names and concluded that Lynn Horton, or whatever her real name was, had been quite as scared as she acted. After I limped inside, turned on the light, and reached for the phone, I stopped at the word Nora above a pretty girl's picture on a newspaper clipping sticking out of Paul Niles' pocket. It carried a New York dateline and said that Nora Kirby, convicted of manslaughter in a traffic accident, had been released after serving three years. At the bottom of the story, scrawled in ink, was the message for years for something I didn't do to get something I couldn't have. It's not fair, Paul. I'll be seeing you. was Nora. I picked up the phone again, and a few minutes later, Detective Lieutenant Matthews at Homicide was up to date.
4: Okay, I'll be right
2: out. Did you say this girl, Nora Kirby did it, Marlowe? I said Paul Niles was expecting her to, and it looks like she did. they looked, there's another angle, though. The woman who just beat it away from here. The one who called herself Lynn Barton? Yeah, yeah, there's... That's somebody else who was snooping around outside, too.
6: Who also got away from you. You're doing real well,
2: Marlowe. Oh, now, wait a minute. When you see this joint, you'll understand. Besides, I'm in this for curiosity only now. My paycheck got murdered, remember? And furthermore, I... Yo, I never have matches when I want them. What'd you say? I said I'm looking for some matches. No, here's some. Hmm. These are the strangest matches I've ever seen.
6: Well, what about them?
2: I got a velvet cover on him.
6: So what? A velvet book of matches. Mm.
2: Hey, hey, Matthews, did you ever hear the name Negrotto? Negrotto? Yeah. Uh, Sure. Abel Negrotto. He's a big name in the music publishing business.
6: Made most of his fortune on records. Lives in Beverly Hills.
2: You know, I got a dandy hunch. I'm going to go have a talk with Mr. Negrotto, Lieutenant, okay?
6: On one condition. Be careful what you say, Marlowe. And uh, keep in touch
2: Good evening. You aren't Mr. Negrotto, are you? No, I'm not. I'm Garrett Horton. Mr. Negrotto is busy. Horton? Yes. Something wrong with that? No. No, it's a more common name than I suspected, that's all. Will you tell Mr. Negrotto I'd like to see him for a few minutes on an urgent matter Names Marlowe? Perhaps you didn't understand me. Mr. Negrotto and I are in the middle of a business conference. We can't be disturbed. No, you can't be disturbed. Well, look, Mr. Horton, a man was murdered tonight, and one trail leads from the corpse straight to this front door. Either Negrotto talks to me here, now, or later at police headquarters. You decide. Well, if that's where you feel, come in. You an officer? Not exactly. I'm a private detective. I see. Well, follow me, follow me. He led the way through what looked like the outer lobby of the Taj Mahal and down a silk-padded corridor to a set of carved doors that would have fit any roundhouse in the country. When we walked in. A man glanced up from a stack of papers and with a pair of eyes that belonged on a shark, his best to look a hole from me. Horton introduced us. This is Mr. Marlowe, private detective. Uh, Mr. Negrotto, I'm looking for a girl named Nora Kirby in connection with the murder of one Paul Niles tonight. She either committed the murder or knows who did because she was there and saw it. And what exactly brings you to my house? Well, I found this book of matches near the door of the dead man's studio. I, I think it's yours. It is gone. Any idea how it got there? None, whatever. And until you mentioned their names, I'd never heard of either Nora Kirby or Paul Niles. How about you, Mr. Horton? No, I'm afraid not. Oh, uh, there's my wife. Oh. I'm sure you'll want to give her the third degree, too. Oh, just a moment. Uh, Lynn. Lynn, darling. Come in here, please. Uh, Lynn, uh, this is Mr. Marlowe.
5: How do you do, Mr. Marlowe? I'm glad to know you, I'm sure.
2: Thanks. I'm pleased to meet you, Mrs. Negrotto. Your brother and I have been trying to convince Marlowe here that we didn't commit murder tonight. But he thinks we did because he found this book of our matches near the corpse. Can you explain it, my dear?
5: Why, no. I I can't imagine. The man's name was
2: Niles, Lynn. Paul Niles. Mean anything?
5: No, nothing.
2: How about Nora Kirby?
5: I don't think I've ever heard the name before.
2: Well, Marlowe, that would seem to take care of the book of matches. Not completely. It was found at the house of the dead man, remember? We've had hundreds of these made up and passed them out freely. I, uh, I think you've taken up quite enough of our time with this absurd business model. So now I'll ask you to leave. I'll show you out. Don't Molly. bother. Now listen to Grotto and listen closely. I've been taking it easy so far, but somebody in this room is absolutely certain how those matches got out there. I know that for a fact. And I'm a private detective. Don't forget. So if you suddenly remember something that needs talking over... I'll be in my office for one hour, but not one single minute longer. Good night, all.
3: In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, every Sunday afternoon, CBS brings you two outstanding programs of music. Gems from the great composers played by the symphonette. And the sweet, memorable songs of the outstanding modern composers and semi classicists sung by the Coraliers. Each program is designed especially for fine Sunday afternoon listening. Hear both the Symphonat and Corelliers this Sunday afternoon on most of these same CBS stations. Now, with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story The Lady Killer.
2: When I started back from my office on Cahuenga, I figured that there was an even chance that the double talk I'd left in my wake might stack up in the center of the Negrotto living room floor like so much dynamite, which if touched off by the book of matches could cause an explosion that would jar loose a few facts about the lives and loves of the late Paul Niles. Facts that would make finding Nora Kirby and clearly understanding her motives something less than impossible. And 20 minutes later, when I was slouched behind my desk and listening to the the staccato report of a pair of high heels clicking sharply toward my door. I had a hunch that my theory of violent detonation was not just wishful thinking. When the door opened without the formality of the knock, that hunch turned to sure thing because the visitor was the not-quite lady called Lynn. Mr. Marlowe, And before just... she could speak her piece, the phone rang and sure thing graduated to cinch. It was another Negrotto, the one named Abel. Uh, Marlowe... I suppose it's stupid of me to make this call, but frankly, your visit here has left me curious. Uh, you have a minute? Yeah, I think so. Hold a wire, will you? I need a light. Be with you in a second, Mrs. Negrano.
5: All right, but what I have to say is important, Mala. so make it fast, will you?
2: Just as fast as I can. I don't think your husband has much to say to me.
5: Husband? Mm-hmm. That's Abel you're talking
2: to. Yeah. Now, do you mind handing me those matches there? Thanks. Hello. <laughs> Sorry to have kept you waiting, Mr. Negrotto. I never seem to be able to hang out of matches. Uh, that's odd. You apparently did all right on that score tonight, Marlowe. Is that the reason for the call? Uh, more or less. Marlowe, uh, you know as well as I do that servants, get anyone who's ever been in my home could have
4: left those matches near the body
2: of that Paul Niles. That's right, Mr. Negrotto, anybody. Which also includes you, your wife, your brother-in-law, and others in the family I have still to meet. What's your point, please? I'm in a hurry. concerns that Negrato's beyond the appearance of those matches. I can't say. Uh, because there is something. Because I don't know. Anything else? Uh, no, there isn't. A... I... Yes, Mono, there is. Oh. To be honest, I admire the way you handle the situation. What's your address? I may
4: have work for you soon,
2: tonight. Thanks, Mr. Negrotto, but I don't think I'll be available. At least not till I get through with the job I'm on. Which is what? Handling dynamite while I play with books of matches. Good night, sir.
5: What did he want, Marlowe?
2: Among other things, an expressed desire to hire me. To do what? Report on you, I suppose. He didn't say.
5: What makes you think that's what he wanted?
2: Addition, Mrs. Negrotto. A rich old husband, a beautiful but bored young wife, and an unemployed Adonis always add up the same way. Also, you were here in my office just about clenches things, not to mention your presence near the corpse, the key you used. And
5: I've heard enough, Marlowe. Look, I didn't want to get mixed up with Paul. I couldn't help myself. I swear I couldn't. He was different, Marlowe. Handsome. More charmed than I'd ever known in anyone.
2: Yeah, real lady killer, I know. What are you getting at?
5: Just this. I'll pay you any price you name. Only don't tell Abel that I had anything to do with Niles. He's a jealous man, Marlowe. Insanely jealous. If he knew about us, he'd...
2: Kill Mrs. Negrano?
5: I don't know. Marlo. what do you want?
2: Right now, everything you know about Nora Kirby. But
5: I've never heard of her before tonight. You're lying. No, I'm not. It's the truth. Now, now, what do you want?
2: Nothing. Good night.
5: You, you mean you won't say anything? Oh, Marlo, I, I don't know how to
4: thank you.
2: Don't try. Also, don't get mixed up about me, baby. The fact that I won't blackmail you doesn't mean I don't like you. The door, Mrs. Negrotto, leave it open on your way out, will you? I'm expecting another visitor.
5: No, my husband.
2: No, just another man. The anchor man and the triumvirate I once left some dynamite with. I won't bother explaining that. Goodbye, Mrs. Negrotto. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You great, big, beautiful doll. Oh. Come on in, Mr. Horton. I've been waiting for you. Why, Mr. Morrow, something I said or didn't say at the house? Not exactly. It's more a matter of intuition, high explosives, and the fact that both your brother-in-law and sister have already paid their respects. Now, what can I do for you? I'm not at all sure. It's the first time. I'm only here because I noticed something very strange about the way my sister looked at you when you spoke of the murder of this Paul Niles. When she left the house shortly after you did, I followed her here. All of which makes the next question, why, Mr. Horton? Because I don't trust her... And more important, every penny I own is tied up in a business venture of mine that her husband is backing. She originally met Abel through me, and if she should in some way be in trouble, the kind of trouble that her
3: husband wouldn't put up with, I might suffer for it in the long run right along with her.
2: Uh Uh-huh. And uh, by the trouble, Mr. Horton, you're referring to something specific, I think. I
3: am. Mm -hmm. Lynn has had a very, uh, well, a very mixed-up background, Marlowe, so it's entirely feasible that in some way she's connected with this Nora you spoke of who killed Paul Niles.
2: You mean as an accomplice or even as accessory before or after the fact? Pretty thoughts about your own sister. Which I can't help. I doubt that you have anything to worry about, Mr. Horton. However, I will say this, that if Nora Kirby hadn't gotten a Paul Niles sooner or later, he would have had plenty to worry about. You mean that... I mean that now is a great time for you to go home and sit on your investment. All is well, Mr. Horton, for the time being. (laughs) The moment after Horton left the office, I came to the hollow conclusion that although my little bombshell had exploded on schedule, damages had been light and had jarred loose neither fact nor fancy about the late Paul Niles and much less about the elusive Miss Nora Kirby. So my next move had to be a second trip to Avenida Del Sol and a report to Detective Lieutenant Matthews, which is what I was about to do when it came from someplace outside, long and wide. <laughs> The corridor outside my door, then bellowed down the single fighter stairs to the street where, in the half light of a distant lamppost, I saw the shadowed figure of a girl slip behind my car, then dart toward a storefront nearby. I started after her and stopped at a noise behind me, which was a. Old oh, mistake! Oh. Hey. oh. hey, Junior.
4: Hey, come on, honey. Pull yourself
0: together. Oh. Let's go, fellas. Come oh,
2: on. Oh, it's you. You're the one who screamed?
0: Screamed? Honey, you have got it, Dad. Listen, oh. this is just Sally.
2: Hello, Sally.
0: <laughs> Relax, honey. You're, you're lucky a cop didn't come along first. Being drunk is one thing. The DTs is something else, I know. Last year, I was in the same shape, and it took me three months Now, to wait get... a
2: minute. Hold it, will you? Look, I was slugged, not slipped a Mickey.
0: Slugged? Honest?
2: Slugged. Honest. If you don't mind giving me a hand, I'll get up. Ooh. Easy, Ooh.
0: honey. Here, let me help you. Sorry. Oh. I figured you're all wrong. I never thought you was slugged. Any idea who done it?
2: No, no. Look, tell me, didn't you see anything? Before huh. you found me, I mean? Huh. Didn't hear a girl scream, see her run away?
0: Nothing at all. Oh. Honey, you must have been out longer than you thought. Maybe... Hmm? Hey. Hey, look, this, this card here on the ground.
2: Yeah. What's your name, honey? Philip Marlowe. Why?
0: Why, why, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you more than that. You know who slugged you, honey? A polite guy. A very polite guy who left his card you engraved and all. Paul Niles. Know him?
2: I used to. It won't work, sweets. Niles gave me that card earlier tonight. Must have dropped it just now. Also, Niles is dead, not you. Ooh. And what? Back of that card there. in Pencil, give me what? that, will you? Grays Motel 10 Santa Monica Boulevard, Bungalow 9. Sweetheart, I may have something good here.
4: About who
0: slugged you, you mean? Better
2: than that, about who killed Niles and where she can be found. Goodbye, love. Here's five for your trouble, and bless you. As I piled into my car, I knew that putting Niles' conversation piece about having just come from Nora's place when he first met me, together with the address on the back of his card, was taking a lot for granted. But I sold myself that playing a long shot was better than not betting on anything at all, and I kept driving fast. When I came to a stop away from the place, which was run down, spread out, and quiet, I had a feeling that what I had earmarked long shot was quickly moving up to even money. And when I was standing next to the motel bungalow Mark 9, that feeling became fact because inside and piled in an awkward heap on the floor was a still form of the girl the newspaper clipping it labeled Nora Kirby. It was another full second before I realized something even more important. On a hot night in August, there wasn't a single window open. And Nora Kirby was huddled close to a gas heater that was on but showed no flame. I picked up a stone at my feet, took one deep breath, and then crashed the pane of glass, unlocked the window, and got inside and over to the girl. Who I figured was taking the hasty way out of a murder that she no doubt had a very personal reason to commit. I stopped figuring when I was nearly next to her. I knew that she was still alive. And that a man gripping a 45 in his hand had just opened the front door. Go make another move, Marlowe, or I'll kill you. Well, comes the switch. Brother in law Garrett Horton. Hm, I never would have guessed. You wouldn't have had
3: to try if you'd kept your <coughs> nose clean. No. Get away from her.
2: Why? Why? she can die as a suicide, which the police will chalk off as logical, since she's already wanted for murder that you no doubt committed? Exactly. Murder I committed because there isn't anything worse one can do to a blackmailer. So that's it, Niles. The lady killer was blackmailing your sister. You found out and killed him before he could cause too much trouble. <coughs> Family trouble that would end up hurting the good thing you've got with husband Abel, huh? Yes.
6: No, Shut up and get away from her. We're going outside. You're kidding. Marlo. Mar- Marlo, I'll shoot you <laughs> if you don't start walking.
2: You're still kidding. Horton, you can't kill me without killing yourself. (coughs) This room is jammed tight with the gas you turned on after you brought her in here unconscious. After you sapped her outside of my place because she was on her way to see me and tell me that you had murdered Niles. The flash from that gun in your hand, (coughs) Horton will blow us all to bits. Face it, brother, for you it's all or nothing at all. Go on, shoot. Go on, try it, try it.
6: (coughs) I can't. I can't. I can't.
3: You can see Miss Kirby now, Mr. Marlowe. She's going to be all right, but uh, hold her down to a few minutes, will you?
2: All right, Doctor, just a few minutes. Hello, Nora. Been a long time getting together, huh?
7: Yeah, but not through any fault of mine, Mr. Marlowe. I followed you from the moment you left Paul's place. But I wanted to see you alone, so I kept waiting for my chance.
2: Which was canceled out when Horton spotted you after he left my office. Mm. Hmm. You ought to learn to run faster, honey. He had to take time to knock me out, and still he caught up with you.
7: So did you, I'm very glad to say. Even though you probably weren't trying to save me at the time, were you?
2: Mm -hmm. Frankly, honey, until Horton stepped back into that bungalow to keep me from interfering with things, I figured you were it.
7: I might have been, Marlowe. If Paul hadn't been killed just before I got to him, at least I'd have hit him with something hard. I had motive, you know.
2: Yeah, I read all about it. Three years in prison for something he didn't do. But tell me, if Niles framed you and you knew it, why didn't you go to the police? He couldn't have been that irresistible.
7: But he was, Marlowe. And more. As a matter of fact, he didn't frame me in the first place. It was my own idea. You see, Paul was driving the car when we... we had that accident three years ago. Not me.
2: You switched places, with him.
6: Why?
7: He'd already had his license revoked for reckless driving. They'd have sent him away for ten years at least as against my three. Believe it or not, at the time, I couldn't think of waiting that long for him.
2: No? No, Marlowe. Hello, Matthews. We checked the story. It's true enough, even if it's the kind of thing we're not supposed to be able to understand. Of course.
7: Paul was strictly a lady killer, remember?
2: Yeah, so he was. Well, I guess that ties everything in, huh? Not quite, Phil. I've just finished taking a statement from Horton. There's one more question. What ever made you so sure that in a room half filled with gas, a gun exploding would blow everything up? Oh, well, that's simple. I, I uh, uh, I, uh...
6: You what?
2: Well, I, I figured, you see. I, I thought that, uh... <laughs> yes, well, good night, Miss Kirby.
7: Good night, Mr. Marlowe. So
2: long, Lieutenant. So long, lucky... By the time I got back to the quiet of my apartment on Franklin, it was a little better than two in the a.m. As I sank into an easy chair without bothering to turn on the lights, I realized that for the moment I was tired. Tired of people. Their troubles, their petty little jealousies. <laughs> lady killer. What makes one man a lady killer and another... Oh, well. I lit a last cigarette, and I thought about the mountain of trouble a classic Grecian profile had built for Paul Niles. I stopped thinking when the flare of the match in my hand showed in a mirror opposite me, a mirror that also reflected the face of the guy holding the match. Hmm. He was a long way from being an Adonis. Hmm. In fact... (laughs) He was slightly on the mud fence side. Hmm. And at the moment, glad of it.
3: The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy, star Gerald Moore and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Meldonelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, Paul Dubov, Ted Von Elts, Anne Morrison, Don Randolph, and Edmund MacDonald. The special music is by Richard Orant. <laughs>
2: Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says. It started with a man on trial for his life and an A1 citizen eager to testify, but there it was interrupted. And it wasn't until I found a corpse in a bubbling bath, gunplay in the woods, and lots of blackmail that the real eager witness had a chance to talk. <laughs>
3: It will be New Orleans, City of Romance and Drama, which sends its detectives into action on Gangbusters tonight. The superintendent of the New Orleans Police Department himself will narrate Gangbusters' amazing story, The Case of the Sledgehammer Psy. You'll also find Basil Rathbone engaged in another of his exciting exotic mysteries. So be sure to hear them on most of these same CBS stations. Gangbusters and Basil Rathbone's newest mystery adventure. In fact, stay tuned right now for the Gangbusters program. Yes, it follows immediately on most of these same stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night.
4: Got your happy price, price line.
2: Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This started with a man on trial for his life and an A1 citizen eager to testify. But there it was interrupted. And it wasn't until I found a corpse in a bubbling bath, gunplay in the woods, and lots of blackmail that the real eager witness had a chance to talk. <laughs>
3: From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story The Eager Witness.
6: Court of the State of California and for the County of Los Angeles now in session. The Honorable Albert Winston, Judge presiding.
2: Everybody rise. It was the case of the people versus the oft-arrested, never-convicted, smooth Earl Jernigan, sometimes bookie, charged in the first degree with a month-old killing of a kindly gray-haired horse trainer named Kurt Hopper, who had once almost been my client. It was the afternoon of the fourth day of the trial and the prosecutor for the state had already built an almost airtight case against the alleged gambler when my turn finally came.
3: To further substantiate the state's
2: claim that Earl Jernigan did willfully and with malice of forethought take the life of the deceased Kurt Harper. Will Mr. Philip
6: Marlowe take the stand? <laughs> Raise your right hand. Promise <laughs> to tell the truth, the whole truth, and talk about the truth, happy help I do. State your name and occupation.
2: Philip Marlowe, private detective.
6: Next stand,
3: Mr. Marlowe. On the morning of the thirtieth day of July last, the day on which the late Kurt Harper was murdered, were you
2: hired as a
3: private detective by the said Mr. Harper? I was. And at that time, Mr. Marlowe, did Mr. Harper state his reason for hiring you?
2: He did. Want me to act as his personal bodyguard on the following day when he planned to drive to San Francisco.
3: Did he say why he needed a personal bodyguard?
2: He did. He told me he was uh, afraid for his life, that he refused the gambler's demand that he drug a certain racehorse a week earlier, that that gambler had threatened to kill him. I see.
3: (laughs) Now, Mr. Marlowe, did Mr. Harper
6: name that gambler?
2: Yes, he did. Who was it? Earl Jernigan. Thank
6: you. No further questions, Your Honor. Counsel for the defense. Counsel for the defense waves cross-examination, Your Honor. The witness is excused.
2: Didn't make sense. No cross-examination, because from the opening adjective, the counsel for the defense, a dapper item named Calder, who always appeared in French cuffs, gray gabardine, and a cocky, uninviting smile, had raved, ranted, ranted are... and practically spit at each witness the state I had presented. To the So the courtroom was left with a tingling impression impression that Earl Jernigan's attorney had something of a surprise waiting up his legal sleeve. Later, when Calder was on his feet and addressing the jury,
1: that something started out
2: fast. Now that the state has taken the trouble to offer so much circumstantial evidence, so much hearsay, rumor, conjecture, now will I smash
3: all of that with the testimony of one man. One man known to all of you as an outstanding citizen of this city a prominent real estate broker, an unimpeachable witness eager to testify, Mr. Leonard Gaines.
2: It worked. Landed in each and every lap like a live grenade and exploded all the way around at once. And when the eminent Mr. Gaines, gray at the temples, maybe 45, a neat and expensive midnight blue flannel with giant stick pin to match, took the stand. And in his own meeting of the board, tone of voice told the court that Earl Jernigan had... Spent, spent the, the day entire day and of night of Malibu. July 30th last Expertise. with him at his Malibu Beach home. Now, the prosecuting attorney's at jaw dropped at to no his chest, and he stared dumb. That day
3: or night, did Mr. Jernigan ever leave my home? And as for the hour of the murder, eight o'clock in the evening. We were having dinner. After mm. that, we played
2: gin rummy until oh until midnight. Are you sure of that, Mr. Gaines? The hour of your dinner, I mean. I am positive, Mr. Calder.
6: No, you can't oh. be. You're lying. Quiet, quiet. In the court. Order, Miss Harper. Order in the court, please. No, I won't be quiet. I won't get Miss Harper, quiet. Order, order. This court is adjourned until tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. <laughs>
8: Another scotch and soda, mister?
2: Yeah, I guess so. Oh, wait a minute, baby. I think I'm going to have company.
9: Mr. Marlowe, can I talk to you for a minute? I'm
2: Gail Gail Hopper. Yeah, I know. (laughs) What I don't know is why you're not doing 30 days on a rock pile for that rumpus you just kicked up in court. Would you like a soft drink? No, thanks. All right, just one, baby.
9: Jack, the judge said he understood and left me off with a short lecture, which was what I had counted
2: on. Oh. You mean all that fireworks in there was planned, not just spontaneous combustion?
9: That's right. I had to have time. <laughs> look, Mr. Marlowe, will you work for me?
2: Oh, well, now look. Will baby, you help I... me
9: prove that Mr. Leonard Gaines is a and that Earl Jernigan did kill my father? Now, take
2: it easy, Gail. It's a big mouthful, you know. Mr. I...
9: Marlowe, listen, please. There isn't much time. We gotta prove this tonight or never. By noon tomorrow with the outside, the case will go to the jury.
2: Okay, what do you want me to do?
9: Take over where I left off. But first, let's get out of here.
2: All right. And never mind that drink, miss. Where do we start, honey?
9: with Leonard Gaines' ex-wife, Debbie Jansen. Here's a snapshot of her. Mm. They were divorced about six months ago, Mr. Marlowe, and she wasn't very happy about
2: it. No, huh? Made you figure she was your in?
9: Yes, and I was right. Mm. Mr. Marlowe, it took eavesdropping, bribery, second story work, but I found out plenty.
2: I'll bet you did. Like what? Oh, hold it, Gail. Lights red
9: like the fact that Debbie and a guy called Eugene Mowry are putting a bite on Gaines for Mm $20,000. Blackmail Mr. Marlowe with the payoff schedule to be made sometime tonight. Right now she's staying at the Sunland Sulphur Springs Lodge out in the valley. Gaines used to go there once in a while for his arthritis. And the why of the whole business is a letter Gaines once wrote to his ex-wife.
2: No fooling. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, tell me what's that to do with Jernigan's trial and Gaines being a... Oh, it's green now.
9: I think there's a connection because yesterday I overheard Getty tell this Maui something about Gaines' scheduled appearance at the trial today, and... Oh, Mr. God! Hey, oh, hey!
4: Those
2: jerk California drivers!
9: The man behind the wheel. What about him? That thin face, blonde hair. I've seen him before. I know he was trying to hit one of us.
2: Oh, fine. Well, that'll keep things from getting dull, won't it?
9: Then... Then you're gonna help me.
2: Well, now, look, I... <laughs> uh, who could resist you, baby? Okay, tonight I check in at the lodge at Sunland Sulphur Springs. Come on, let's get out of here. It was 8 o'clock and almost dark when I reached the foothills of the mountain range that separates the San Fernando Valley from L.A. proper and turned off onto a narrow, dirt road that ran through a twisting gorge past a moon-faced watchman who asked no questions as he slowly opened a sagging wooden gate faintly labeled Sunland Sulphur Springs, where Mother Nature's remedies bubble from the earth private. (laughs) It was another five minutes along the same dirt road uphill and through thick foliage before I was at a parking space out of my car and walking the last quarter of a mile toward the lodge itself that was spotted with widely separated cottages also sagging, and each tagged Casa, and followed by something Spanish and hard to pronounce. Inside the place was cheap porch furniture and occasional threadbare rugs over scarred pine and deserted. Except for a sleepy old guy with thick-lidded eyes and an accordion-wrinkled face who was slouched in a heap behind a sign on the reservation desk that read Maynard Sharp, no less, night manager. When I gave him my name and said that both my rheumatism and I needed a rest, he came to, almost.
6: Uh, room Mr. Marlowe. Well, let's see. I can let you have most any one of the cottages. Half of them are empty. The things kind of slow this time of year. How
2: slow can you get?
6: Uh, you'll be surprised. Uh, how's about uh, Casa Francisco de Leon?
2: Casa Francisco, hmm? Yeah, that'll be fine, Mr. Sharp.
6: All righty, sir. Now, if you'll just sign the register here, I'll get your key. But, uh... You As have to I
2: signed my name, I checked yourself. the guest list quickly. And the next second found what I wanted, Deborah Janssen. And next to that, and in a different hand, her cottage for the night. Uh, Casa Rolando de... Uh, Baron Dido. That's close enough. Well, anyway, it was all I needed. I took the key from Mr. Sharp, a misnomer if ever you heard one, learned the location of my quarters, paid him in advance, and left. Outside, I turned to my right, past a large open bath that smelled like rotten eggs and talked to itself like a junior Vesuvius as more warm sulfur waters, equally unpleasant to smell, bubbled from a pipe in the center. Beyond that was the first cottage, another casa I couldn't pronounce, and it stayed like that all the way down the line until I reached the second one that showed light. It was the casa known as Rolando de Barandido. And when I moved closer and around to a window that was clean only, I knew that my client had done her eavesdropping well because in the center of the room and putting on her coat was the ex-wife named Debbie standing nearby and holding on tight to the cigarette in his hand like it was support
4: Debbie what had Murray. to be the
2: boyfriend, you're sure Eugene Mowry. You know you're, you're, you're sure that Gaines will go through with this all right? For the
8: hundredth time, Eugene, yes, I'm positive. Can't you understand? He has to. Besides, $20,000 won't break him. It won't more than bend him a bit. Now stop worrying. But I
3: can't. Debbie, wh- why must you go alone? Why can't I go with
8: you? Eugene, please, we've been over that. I told Leonard that I'd meet him in town at the Beverly Crest Hotel at 10 and alone. He agreed to also be alone. Except for the money.
2: Debbie, you do handle things well. Come here, darling. Have a kiss be your brilliant.
4: Oh,
8: please, Eugene, there isn't time. Oh, what's
2: the matter? Am my kisses losing their flavor at this point?
8: Don't be a fool. Look, it's late, Eugene. It's after nine already. I've got to hurry. Now, go on. Go on, be a good boy and leave now. We shouldn't even be seen together tonight. Well, why
6: not, Debbie?
8: It's not smart. Here. Meet me at the tulip room, darling, at 11 as we plan. Then you, Chief. We'll have time and reason to relax. 20,000 bucks worth of reason.
2: As Maori oozed toward the door, I slid away from the cottage and into the shadow of a clump of trees nearby. Stayed there as he walked out of sight down the road that led back to the parking space. Then a few minutes later when Debbie clicked off the light and left, I moved out of hiding and started slowly after at a safe distance. Until from someplace in the night an ugly, snub-nosed automatic that belonged to someone blonde and thin-faced as a near-automobile accident stopped me cold.
6: Where are you going, Jack?
2: For air. I love to walk in the country at night, okay?
6: I wouldn't know, Jack. I'm a city boy myself, but as long as that's what you want, it's Jake with me. As long as it's where it's good and dark. Now go on. That way. Move. Alright, Jack. That's far enough. Hold it.
2: Turn around and face me. Why? So I can watch you pull the trigger? Never mind why. Just turn. Okay, turn it is. That's better. Now, one step closer. One step closer. Hey, what's that? Not pleasant, my friend, taking <laughs> wing! Uh, now, before I beat you into little pieces, let's have it. Who are you? Who do you work for, and what do you want with me?
6: Come on, gunman, uh, talk! Okay. Okay, I, uh, no more. My name's Langley. Work for Earl Jenikin. Oh? No? Uh, yeah, I've been watching you ever since the trial started. Jenikin didn't want you moving in on it.
2: Which is why you tried to pick me off with a car when I was with Gail Harper this afternoon, huh? Come on! Yeah,
6: yeah, yeah, yeah that's why. Now, now, what are you going to do with me?
2: For the time being, Buster, leave you as is. Flat on your back because I've still <laughs> got to
6: catch up with a lady before
2: she reads a letter! <laughs> City boy...
3: just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, because of the sharp rise in America's birth rate during the war, we face a very serious educational crisis. Many communities will find that their schools lack sufficient teachers, classrooms, and facilities. Citizens must get together and work for better schools, more teachers. If we want all of our children to have a chance for a good education, we must take action now. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Eager Witness.
2: It was strictly hit and run. I piled Langley into the manzanita and didn't even wait to see him bounce. Instead, I took off through a gully that was a shortcut to my car because I knew that Jernigan's watchdog had nothing to offer compared with the hot-headed Debbie Jansen, who at the moment, no doubt, was well on her way to the Beverly Crest Hotel and a blackmail rendezvous that was a cinch to wind up in the final destruction of the letter. That was my theory. But I dropped it like a hot rock just as I crossed the path to the sulfur pool. Mr. Marlowe! Mr. Marlowe! Somebody
6: screamed! Yeah, he's never by the spring! Oh, gosh!
4: Oh my gosh. It
2: was nothing but sulfur fumes and the thick gurgle of the springs until Sharp played his flashlight over the pool.
4: Then we saw Oh my gosh. And the
2: water that was turning red from blood oozing around the knife in her look, back.
6: Look, it's Miss Jansen. Come
2: on, Pop, give me a hand. Let's yeah. get her out of there. Yeah, Come on. <clears throat> Take it easy now. Take it easy. <laughs> That's it. Debbie. I
8: should have
2: tried. Tried what, then? Uh, Who was it, Debbie? Who did this?
8: He,
6: he... He... got the letter.
2: Who? Who got the letter, Debbie? Uh, Debbie.
6: Marlo. Did she... Did she pass out?
2: For good, Maynard. She's dead.
6: Oh, uh, well. she... She seemed to be mumbling something about a letter. Did you get what it was?
2: The only part of it. A killer apparently took the letter away from her. Believe me, that's bad.
6: Letter? What's a letter? Wait a minute! Wait
2: a minute! Oh, it's probably that pheasant again.
6: Letters? What are you talking about? Oh, I guess
2: I'm just getting jumpy. Hey, hey, there is
6: somebody. Come on, Pop. Sounds, sounds like he's over there, Marlowe. Yeah, I can hear him. Oh, no. That that ain't going to do you any good, son. Not in that brush, it ain't. And what's more, I wouldn't go any further if I was you. But
2: Pop, all he needs is ten seconds and he can destroy that letter for good.
6: Well, just the same, there's a million and one places a killer can hide in there and lay for you, son.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Pop, well, it's the moment it's a stalemate. I'd sure love to find out who that snake in the bush is.
6: You know... I've run a peaceful place up until it's getting to be like one of them there movies. <laughs> Only thing left out is a posse.
2: Yeah, you're so right. Murders in the night, lost letters, it's corny enough without a posse.
6: Yeah, and uh, my dangers, too.
2: Hmm? Yeah, I see what you mean.
6: Are you uh, ready to, uh, to... Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, uh, I'll lead you back to the office. My Jasper, I don't understand this one bit. Miss Jensen is stabbed to death over that letter, and in her dying Huh? What is it? Shh. Up ahead there.
2: Somebody ducked behind that big tree. Keep the chatter going, man. Walk on up the path. Don't let him know we spotted him. Go on,
6: talk, talk. Well, I have? okay, sure. sure. I was saying I don't understand. Well, our place here is generally as quiet as a tomb. As
2: the old man grimly had led his way up the path, they followed a few feet behind. When he could even with the tree, i turned turn suddenly. So three fast steps... and Come here, you! Hang on, to him, Hang on to Well, well. Mr. Leonard Gaines, the unimpeachable citizen himself, stand still, Gaines. A, a, a gun. What's the idea, Marlowe? Try running and it'll come to you. I suppose you've got a legitimate reason for being here all thought up? I, I'm here because I, I've got a touch of arthritis. I need a treatment and a night's rest. Arthritis isn't all you're going to have if I find what I think I'm going to find in your pockets. Empty him, Buster. I'll I look said up empty them. Your... Oh, all right, Arnold. I'll empty them. That's better. A sharp, you're a witness, and I demand that you now,
6: stop... uh, just a minute, Mr. Gaines. You're in a pretty bad spot to demand anything. There.
2: There's our baby. There's the letter we've been looking for. Pick it up, Gaines. Pick it up and read it. Now, now see here, Marlowe. See there, Gaines. Read it while you're able to. Yeah, My dear Debbie... If I didn't know you so well, I'd resent your stupid accusations. Now, look, Mark! We've already made our property settlement, as you're well aware, and you'll be a long time finding a court that says
6: otherwise. Now you know where you can go, so why not get started as ever, Leonard?
2: Oh, fine. That's as about as incriminating as a lecture on the family meat bill. Sharp, whose jurisdiction are we under here? Uh,
6: Juris, uh, why, uh, county sheriff's office.
2: All right, call him. Also, call your man out on the highway and have him lock that main gate. Main gate? Yeah.
6: Say, now, that's a good idea. I'll do it right now. now wait a
2: minute. Have you got a gun?
6: Yep, got a rifle. Been in the family for years. Can you use it? Well, uh, yeah, I reckon I can. Well, uh, where are you going?
2: Out round roundup Langley. He'll be pushing hard to give his boss's star witness here a big helping hand. I want to be in shape to push back. And remember, Pop, yeah. keep your eye on Gaines and out on the phone when you make those calls. I'll see you. The second time that night, I started down the hill and toward the car lot, keeping in the shadows and moving slowly this time. Because it was odds-on that Langley had taken everything in. And I knew that he'd he try to part my hair with a gun barrel and pull Leonard Gaines out of the jam he was in the very first chance he had. So I stayed off the paths long enough to have both socks full of burrs when it happened. But not what I expected. <coughs> it was the sharp family busted that exploded with a blast like a small howitzer. So also for the second time I turned and ran back up the hill this time to the office. I got there just as Maynard climbing hand over hand up a smoking Whoa. rifle barrel made it to his feet. Maynard! it, what happened? Where's Gaines?
6: Well, I, I, I don't know. It got away, I guess. Well, the shot, what about that? It went up there, through the roof. Oh, fine. Well, gosh, I, I, I didn't suspect a thing. He just said he wanted to smoke.
2: But he didn't happen to have a match, I know. So you hung your rifle over your arm, stuck both hands in your pockets to find one for him, and that's when he took you.
6: Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Well, how'd you know? Never mind,
2: pup. Never mind, Pop.
6: Well, I, I, I made a grab for him, though. Uh, ripped his coat about halfway oh, off. Oh,
2: that's great, that's uh, great.
6: but uh, well, I, I, I'm sure sorry he got away, my... All
2: right, don't worry about it, will you? Can't get far with the gate locked.
6: Well, I, uh, I got bad news there, too. Oh, oh, the gate's locked, all right. But, uh, there's a uh, back road.
2: There's a back what? Back road. Rod, yeah, well, uh,
6: right Yeah, it, it ain't much. It's uh, rough and rocky, but it's passable, and, uh, anybody's been up here as often as Mr. Gaines has, sure nobody. know about it.
2: Oh, great. Look, Pop, can't you understand that there was a murder committed here tonight and we had the murderer? Yeah, and but,
6: no
2: man... buts! Felt for the oldest gag in the world. But, I was Marlo... a sucker to turn him over to you. And will you stop waving that envelope? I
6: just think you ought to see this.
2: All right, what is it? You, uh... Oh, where'd you get all that loot?
6: Uh, Gaines dropped it when I ripped his cot.
2: 20 grand, it says here on the wrapper. Something else written here, too. Casa... Rolando de, de Barandido at 10. Casa run.
6: Pop, that's it. That's the answer.
2: Come on, we got to get down that back road in a Hurry. We sharp at the wheel of the pickup truck. We bounced over the pair of sometimes parallel ruts studded with stones the size of bowling balls. It was called a back road. For the better part of two miles before he cut lights and motor and whispered that if Gaines was going to get stuck at all was sure to happen in a dry wash just around the next bend. I told him to wait and went ahead on foot. He was right. Gaines was stuck in more ways than one. His car was up to its hubcaps in sand and his wallet up to its stamp compartment in blackmail, conducted by his ex-wife's murderer with the same leather she'd had. The letter. It was Eugene Murray and clenched in his hand was a tattered white envelope, nothing more. I'll make it easy for you. I held my thirty-eight in close my to my side and edged up and behind him. $20,000. Now, Murray, uh, I don't have that much. You lie. You're going to pay her that. I don't know. I know because we, we, we worked the deal out together. Only she got greedy, she tried to
6: double-cross me and pull it alone. Oh,
2: so you killed her? Yes, I, I didn't intend to, but when I found out that she tricked me, I, I was furious.
4: <laughs>
2: the first thing that I knew, I'd I, I stabbed her. Uh, that's enough of that. Just give me the money, you've nothing to worry about. Now, listen, Maury, I no, tell you I... You listen, Gabe. You're in no position to bargain. It's better than having your $200,000 gambling debt exposed and your reputation ruined, isn't it? Uh, Or facing the
3: trigger man, Langley, if you refuse to alibi for Jenigan, isn't it?
2: Or bucking a perjury charge if you do alibi. No, 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 you've got yourself in a corner, gang, so pay off. It's only 20 grand. But I tell you, Maori, I
6: don't have it. You're lying again. No,
2: he isn't. Don't move, either one of you. Leave your hands where they are. I got the 20 grand right here, and it's pretty well earmarked as blackmail payment already just to round things out, Mari, I'll take that envelope you've got there.
3: Yes. Like well, what do you want this for?
2: Funny man. Because it's no doubt postmarked with an hour, a date, and a location, which, together with Brother Gaines' own handwriting, places him out of town on July 30th, a time he swears he was at his Malibu home all day with Jernigan. Right, Gaines? Uh, smart boy, aren't you, Marlowe? you still got a chance, Gaines. You'd better gamble with me. You've got nothing to lose now. I'm with you. Stand still, Buster. Sir, help me out. Now, Gaines, go!
6: Go! Oh! Oh my
2: leg! Were you thinking of going someplace, Mr. Gaines? Uh, no. No, I I'm not going any place, Mr. Marlowe. Well, Gail, the big show's about to start. Court will be in session in a few minutes.
9: I know. And different from yesterday. Yeah. Oh, you did a swell job, Mr. Marlowe. Gee, gee, I don't know how to thank you. Save
2: it, baby. That scale Lady Justice holds in her hands is in better balance today. It was your hunch and old Maynard's blunderbust did as much to put it there as my running around through the brush itself of springs.
9: But all I knew was that game <clears throat> was lying. I didn't know it was as complicated as it was.
2: Well, that's because Debbie Jansen was twice as treacherous as we figured
9: still don't understand. How did you know that Eugene Maury had killed Debbie?
2: Well, you see, baby, I overheard her tell Maury that she was going to meet Gaines in the Beverly Crest Hotel at 10 for the payoff. Uh-huh. But I figured that was a lie strictly for Maury's benefit when Pop gave me the packet of money Gaines had dropped. It had that complicated name of a cabin and the time of the appointment, which was also 10, written on it. Mm. So I knew the real meeting was scheduled to take place out there, see?
9: Oh, I see. Then she was going to send Maury mm. off to the Beverly Crest while she collected the money at Sulphur Springs and then beat it alone.
2: That's it, honey. You see, if her cabin had been named something simple like uh, number four, then Gaines could have remembered it instead of that Casa Robino del Bangadoro, or whatever it was <laughs> he had to write down, you see. Well, then things might have been different.
9: Ah, oh, you'd have found a way. After all, you figured out it was the postmark that was important.
2: Only after I'd been slapped in the face by a perfectly harmless letter with no envelope, had to be the postmark. What else?
9: Isn't <laughs> that Oh, they're starting. Yeah. Good luck, Mr. Morrow. Give them the
4: works.
2: Don't worry, baby. I'm the eager witness today. We're going to knock them dead, literally. (laughs) They got it coming. I watched Jernigan's face as the preliminaries got underway. The killer was beaten. When the court finally settled down to work and the prosecutor took over... I listened to his deft build-up as he primed the jury in the dramatic ringmaster voice he used when he called. Will Philip Marlowe take the stand, please?
3: Now, Mr. Marlowe, you told us yesterday that you are a private investigator. Now, will you tell the court in your own words what happened to you last night?
2: I sat there looking into the cold, baleful eyes of the prosecutor. I thought of a paraphrase on that wonderful quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes. It's not enough to ask for justice. One must also hope for mercy. Mr. Marlowe. Hmm? Oh, oh yes, I- I'm sorry. Well, it began here in this room yesterday afternoon at about 3:30 when the counsel for defense called a witness, a Mr. Leonard Gaines to the stand.
3: The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Donnelly, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Joy Terry, John Daner, Michael Ann Barrett, Junius Matthews, Ben Wright, Lou Krugman, Larry Dobkin, and Bud Widom. The special music is by Richard O'Runt.
2: Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says. The trail started in Montana with a bum with two names rushing away from his lady love and led fast into L.A. past a southerner from Canada, a worried wool dealer, and a chorus girl with a 45. When it finally stopped at Murder in the Park, the tramp was still in a hurry. <laughs>
3: and I have a friend coming to call next Monday night. She's my friend Irma. If this beautiful lovable but dumb blonde isn't your friend now, she will be the moment you hear her over most of these same CBS network stations next Monday following the Lux Radio Theater. My friend Irma will bring you plenty of laughs and great entertainment. So be sure to make friends with my friend Irma these Monday nights on CBS where you'll hear them all this fall. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where Arthur Godfrey's talent scouts are heard Monday's The Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.